Get fast, reliable speeds at home and on the go with internet and mobile from Xfinity. Switch to Xfinity Internet with unlimited data included so you can do more of what you love online. There's no annual contract required, so it's risk-free, and it comes with a two-year internet rate guarantee. Plus, when you add Xfinity Mobile, you'll get connected to the fastest mobile service, and you'll get major savings. Go to Xfinity.com faster, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store to learn more. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. Each episode features a special guest sharing their story of success, career advice, and industry insight. I'm Valeria, and I'm hosting today's episode. Today's guest is Dana Cohen, the founder of Higher Goods, a brand that offers accessories made of leather and fabric sourced from factory scraps. I'd love it if you could just start by introducing yourself and tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you got started in the fashion industry. Yeah, so um, my name is Dana, (laughs) Um, and I am originally from South Florida, and from a young age, I was always interested in fashion. Um, My mom was like a real 90s Calvin Klein minimalist and wore kind of the same black tank top and blue jeans every day. And I think I fell in love with fashion just as a sort of fantasy about kind of the more opulent decorative side of fashion. Um, And after high school, I actually, I studied film, but uh, immediately knew it wasn't for me and went to Parsons and studied fashion right after that. And I've worked in fashion ever since. And of course, like my aesthetic is now way more in line with my mom's than (laughs) what it was when I was a kid. But, um, you know, that's how things go. (laughs) After Parsons, you stayed in New York and that's when you started your career in corporate fashion? Yeah, so I worked in corporate fashion for over a decade. Tell me about that. What was that like? And how did you transition from corporate fashion to creating your own brand? Corporate fashion. Corporate fashion is really interesting. It has changed so much since I started. I would say when I first started, it was really merchandising driven. So um, what year was that, by the way? My first job in fashion was in 2007. Okay. Yeah. So it was really merchandising driven at the time. And then I think like throughout my career in fashion, my decade in fashion design sort of like coincided with the rise of fast fashion. And and so product assortments everywhere got a lot more homogenous and people were competing more on price um, and less on aesthetic and fashion, corporate fashion became less about product and merchandising, but more about marketing and stories. It was a real shift internally. um, And I think it just became a lot less creative and a lot less product focused um, because everyone was sort of chasing the same trends. Corporate fashion was just an interesting experience. You'd be surprised how little time is spent designing. I would say it's like 10% of the job, but I did. I learned a lot both about merchandising and marketing throughout the course of that experience. So, you know, I'm really grateful for the time I spent in corporate fashion, even though I'm really glad to not be a part of it anymore. (laughs) Did you have a moment when you realized this is not for me? Like, this is not what I want to see fashion as? Yeah, I think at my last job, my last job became so stressful. It was the largest company that I had ever worked for. 
there were so many layers in the corporate structure, a lot of opinions. Um, it wasn't necessarily the resulting in the best product for the consumer. And I found that really stressful and internalized it a lot and actually started to develop a lot of health issues because the corporate environment just became so stressful. So every six weeks I was getting sick and I had developed tremors and it was just like a really toxic environment for me. And so I just knew that I couldn't do it anymore. That's when you started brainstorming on creating your own brand? Yeah. So I I took some time off. I was really fortunate. My um, company that I was working for decided to relocate. And um, because I didn't take the relocation offer, I had like a tiny severance, which was the first time in my life that I've had a moment to breathe and sort of reflect on what was going on in my life and just sort of think about what I wanted and how I could be proactive about going after those things. So while I thought maybe in the back of my mind I might start a company, I had no idea what that was going to look like. And so I took that time and you know, reassessed my life and what I wanted from it. And I knew at that time that like, you know, after a couple of months of just kind of digesting and um, doing some research, I knew that I wanted to stay in fashion, but to find a way to do it that felt more healthy, um, both for me and for the world. I kind of want to go back just for a second. Like when you were designing at Parsons, I'm curious, like what did you envision your career as? Did you picture like, one day I want to have my own brand or did you always kind of think you wanted to be designing under a big company? You know, it's so funny. I actually developed a business plan with a friend of mine when I, when we were at Parsons for a uh, sustainable clothing line. And this was back in like 2005, 2006. The only thing I can remember from it was that we were going to source our buttons and trims from uh, discarded garments. So they would all be sort of like mismatched. Like we would sort of sort them by size and kind of color story, but everything wouldn't necessarily be the same on a garment. Um, So it was all about upcycling. (laughs) And so I, I always had, I think, inside of me the desire to start a company but I never really had the guts um, until very, very recently. Yeah. So tell us about that. Tell us about like taking that jump from corporate fashion to starting your own brand and what inspired you? It was not an easy jump. I think uh, I knew that deep down it was something I wanted to do, but it's extremely like financially risky, obviously. (laughs) Um, But also it's to me, putting myself out there creatively is a little bit like standing naked in Times Square, pre-pandemic Times Square. Like it it was full of people or, you know, Madison Square Garden during a concert Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, So it was very nerve wracking for me to do that. But um, I felt like it was my last hope in the fashion industry to sort of create something that was more sustainable, both in lifestyle and um, that was more sustainable as far as lifestyle and also, you know, the way it treated the planet. So tell us what you offer at Higher Goods and what your design process is like. Yeah, so um, my, my goal with Higher Goods is to really minimize waste. So what we do is upcycle manufacturing scraps and dead stock materials into new products. So we're basically diverting what would be trash from landfills, keeping it in circulation and making it into beautiful new things. 
we started out with um, a small collection of leather wallets and one handbag. Turns out everyone loves the handbag. <laughs> so we've been making a lot more bags and I recently just added a beanie to the collection. So working with uh, yarn waste left over from luxury fashion brands. And when you say we, it's you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for clarifying. It's yeah. the royal we as in just me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I should add that I have a fabulous intern, Molly, right now, who's been helping me for the last couple of months. Um, she will be completing her internship at the end of this month, and she's been a huge, huge asset. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's really um, just me. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what the process is like from like when you have an idea in your mind of this is what I want to make to how you actually make it, how long does that take and where exactly do you source the waste from? So right now I'm working with a factory in India that I have known since my first job. They were one of the manufacturers who, when I was working at Kolhan, they manufactured the outerwear that I was making. And um, we started out by just using their manufacturing waste. So it's a really interesting process with leather because obviously it's a, it's a natural product and each skin is unique and those skins can come with a lot of flaws often. So in the creation of those skins, there's a lot of um, weeding out of skins based on quality levels, um, based on imperfections. Um, so at the tannery where the skins are made, there's something like five to 7% of skins get pulled from production before they're even delivered to the manufacturer. And then the manufacturer does their own kind of um, combing through of the, the goods and another five to 7% of skins are pulled from the production uh, materials. And so what we do is we kind of weed through those discards and see what's salvageable because it's still a really high quality product. It just often has small imperfections that need to be cut around. The consumption is greater. Um, and we take those materials and um, repurpose them basically and reuse them and make beautiful things out of it. What's really different about the design process when you're working with waste is normally when I'm working for a brand, um, we'll source the materials. The sky's the limit when you're designing, right? You can find materials to make whatever you want to make. But now I'm sort of working with what's out there. So I have to often moonwalk like backwards into um, the product from the materials that are available. And it's a totally different way of working, but honestly really inspiring. And because I don't create any of the materials, I... It's, a, it's just a different set of boundaries that I'm working within. Yeah. Do you know like exactly how much waste you've turned into finished goods now? I calculate it every six months. So the last tally I took was in June. And um, from just our first seven months in business, we had upcycled over 500 pounds of waste. Wow. So um, it's a brand new brand. It's still really small, but we're making an impact. Yeah. And I'm super proud of whatever that number is, you yeah. know. I mean, for one person, that's huge to do 500 pounds of waste. That's amazing. I want to know what inspires you or how you get inspired to create new designs. I feel like when you mentioned that you're inspired by your mom's minimal aesthetic, when you said that, I was like, oh, that makes sense because your designs are very simple, but super classy. So I want to know like where you draw inspiration from. 
Yeah, I'm definitely inspired by form and function. So with regards to form, I like for things to be rooted in classic pieces and classic styles. And that way it ensures the designs stay relevant in your wardrobe forever. Um, And as far as function goes, I really like pieces that work really hard for you uh, in a variety of different ways. So you find a lot of convertible bags, bags that come with multiple straps. So you can own fewer pieces that can translate into a variety of occasions across, you know, your life. I also did want to touch on your website. You have something super cool, which is the Higher Goods Monthly Mission. I love that. I wanted you to share with the audience what that is all about. Yeah, so I started the monthly mission after COVID hit. It was always something I had in the back of my mind um, as something I wanted to do, but um, it felt a little overwhelming when I first started the business. And then when COVID hit, I struggled a lot with owning a fashion company Mm -hmm. and I wanted to find a way to give back to the community. And there are so many different causes that kind of felt relevant and important to me, but I didn't feel comfortable choosing just one. So uh, (laughs) I developed this concept where every month we would sort of look at what's happening in the world and decide who can use the funds and allocate them accordingly. So for example, for November and December, we're working with Feeding America and um, I chose Feeding America because food insecurity affects one in nine people in the U.S., but because of COVID-19, there's so many more people affected right now, and it's the holiday season, and I just, you know, want to be able to provide as many meals as possible to people, especially during this time of year. So, you know, that's the cause for November and December, and then we'll see what January has to offer. That's awesome. That's something more brands and just people in general have been aware of. Finding ways to incorporate giving back was sparked by the pandemic, but hopefully it keeps going after things get back to normal, hopefully. Definitely. It's something that, at least for higher goods, will never go away. That's good. Um, so speaking of COVID, I was curious, like, if at all it has impacted your business. I know you're just a year in, um, but obviously you started the monthly mission. So I was just wondering, like, how it's impacted higher goods and then also just yourself, like how you've been staying sane in New York during the height of the pandemic. Yeah, of course. So you're totally right. For me, the COVID retail landscape is basically all I know as far as a small being a small business owner. Um, I launched only three months before COVID swept the U.S. It's really challenging not knowing what the world will look like a couple months down the road as far as planning goes. Um, But I'm just trying to stay nimble and roll with the punches. We've had a lot of unexpected factory closures, which has really forced me to flex my customer service muscles. (laughs) Um, But I'm really grateful that for the most part, um, Consumers have been really kind and really forgiving about delays. When COVID hit, like I said before, I really struggled with owning a fashion company. And um, obviously, I live in Brooklyn. I live in a neighborhood that was hit really, really badly um, in the very initial days of COVID-19. And I just didn't feel right trying to sell bags and wallets. So... I sort of like ransacked my apartment um, for scraps of fabrics and started making masks. And I was just doing that to donate them to medical workers. And it was really kind of cool. A lot of people started asking me to buy them. And so I developed a one-for-one program where for every mask we made, 
we donated one to a medical worker in need. Um, and that was in March. So <laughs> I think we were one of the first companies to do that. So it definitely forced me to pivot the business a little bit, um, but in a way that felt really authentic to the business where we were still using scraps and, you know, giving back to the community. Um, but I, if you had asked me in November when I started the business, if I would have ever been selling masks, I would have thought you were crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> COVID definitely has like kept me on my toes in so many ways. Um, and I think just forced me to be a, a more nimble small business owner. Yeah, I did read that your wedding ended up in, on the cover of the New York Times. <laughs> I had to ask you how that happened and what that was like. Yeah, that was so exciting. <laughs> um, my husband and I were originally supposed to get married in May of this year. Uh, in February, we were reading what was going on in China and in Italy with the virus. And we sort of looked at each other and were wondering, what does this mean for us? And I had left my corporate job and had a really mediocre but very expensive insurance. <laughs> and we were worried that if the virus came to the U.S., it could have been very physically and financially detrimental if I got sick. So... My parents happened to be in town and Adam's parents live nearby. So we just decided four days before we got married to do it. And we asked everyone to meet us at city hall four days later. And everyone thought we were crazy because at the time the virus like wasn't really on anyone's radar. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the whole experience was absolute chaos. I had to borrow a dress. We got rings in Chinatown, like we were completely unprepared, um, but even though it wasn't the wedding we had been planning, it was really amazing, and we are so glad we did it because we got to be there with our family. We got to hug our family, which was something that maybe a week later may not have happened, um, and then, of course, we were in the New York Times, so my sister, who was flying in from Seattle last minute from, for the wedding, had mentioned it to a friend who worked at the New York Times. And they, I think a day later, were all in a meeting where they were discussing how coronavirus uh, was changing people's lives. And at the time, I don't think it really was, except we were this kind of supreme example of um, extreme measures being taken. So they sent a photographer and we thought they were going to bury us somewhere in the metro section. And then, of course, the paper came out and we were on the cover, That's which awesome. was actually the first article about coronavirus in the New York Times. Wow. So you're like part of history now. <laughs> I guess so. Do you have the article like saved in your house somewhere? Definitely. It's meant to go in a frame at some point, but we have yet to do that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that story. That was awesome. Um, I do want to go back to higher goods because you're only a year in. And like you said, the future is super uncertain right now. How do you plan to grow your brand in the future? And like, do you have a vision of what it would look like in a few years? I definitely have a vision. I feel like if I share it, it might sound scary. <laughs> um, to me, you know, the mission is to minimize waste. And there is just so much waste out there. So the sky is the limit. Um, I definitely see higher goods expanding beyond accessories into other categories and hopefully just becoming a thought leader in the sustainable fashion community. Do you have any like specific categories that you can share or do you want to keep it to yourself right now? 
I am working on something so exciting to launch next fall. Um, I won't tell you what it is, but what I will tell you is um, I was a product I was working on for two years before launching Higher Goods. And at the time, um, the minimum units required in order to manufacture it were 3,000 pieces. And I thought to myself, it's just inherently not sustainable to make that many pieces of something when you have no business history. And I dropped the idea. But because of COVID-19, the manufacturer has changed their um, internal systems and is now accepting more reasonable orders. And so I'm able to, yeah, kind of fulfill this dream of this product, which is going to be so amazing um, and truly so different than anything else out there right now. And yeah, you'll just have to wait and see. Stay tuned. Looking more general at the fashion industry, do you feel like it will continue to see more sustainable innovations and reduced consumption in fast fashion? I think if one good thing comes out of the pandemic, it will be a reduced consumption of just fashion in general. I think staying home has made people realize how little they need. Uh, I just hope that those feelings persist when the pandemic is over. The good news is I think the industry has caught on to the consumer's desire for brands that prioritize the environment. So brands everywhere are making changes to um, kind of upend the status quo. But I think it's going to be a really long and bumpy road towards creating meaningful change, especially within large corporations. I think we will see a lot of the change come from smaller, more nimble brands um, who will like spearhead the innovations and pave the way and become the thought leaders because corporations are just, it's really hard to create change inside of them um, just with all the systems they have built. And it's, yeah. It makes sense, right? Because their bottom line is profit. So if people start to slowly change that as, profit in a sustainable way or profit without like harming the environment. um, I feel like that's when we'll start to see change. You'd be amazed after working in corporate fashion for so long, it is so hard to change the system, right? Because all these interconnected cogs are kind of moving together. And once you try to change one, the there's sort of a domino effect throughout the whole organization. And it's just really difficult to do. And so I think, again, it's like the change is going to come from the consumer demanding it and these companies feeling threatened, their survival feeling threatened. Um, And then once that happens, I think they will follow the lead of these smaller companies who are more nimble and it's easier to sort of create meaningful change. Yeah. So for everyone listening, the way to threaten large corporations is supporting small, sustainable brands like Higher Goods. Yeah, for sure. I also want to touch on advice you have for anybody else looking to start their own brand, especially right now during the pandemic. As someone who started a business, like you must have a wealth of knowledge, even though it's just a year in. What are some tips you can share for anyone looking to start their own venture? I get asked this a lot, and my first response is always do it because I was someone who was dreaming of starting a business for over a decade and I wish I had done it earlier. But my caveat to that is that if you're going to start a business, especially in fashion, I would ask yourself 
do we need this brand? There is so much product out there. I would think about what are you bringing to the table that's different and why do people need it? For me, the answer to that with higher goods was simple. I'm keeping quality materials out of landfills and in circulation, reducing waste. Without higher goods, that waste would go to landfill, releasing emissions. And so it felt like a no-brainer that this company needed to exist. I think if you're wanting to start a new brand, just make sure there's a reason to add more product into the world. Very sound advice. Before I let you go, I want to know if you have any other sustainable shopping tips or brands that you want to spotlight to anyone listening. Ooh. (laughs) Um, As far as sustainable shopping goes, I think it can be a really overwhelming process. Um, I think there's a lot of conflicting information out there about what sustainability means. Um, And I think you have to choose what it means for you and whether that's like shopping all organic or, you know, shopping zero waste. Um, I think do research and see what causes feel appropriate for you. I know some awesome small brands um, doing all of these things. I would give a shout out to um, Teddy Locks, who's making socks out of plastic bottles, and my friend Casey at Sylvan, who is uh, also doing sustainable leather, but using um, new leather materials, but made from food waste. So she uses apple leather, which is really cool. Um, There's also companies like Package Free Shop, which will help you uh, make your home more sustainable. So if you really want to like upgrade your kitchen experience, which I think is a really good place to start building a zero waste lifestyle, they have incredible products to um, replace and substitute some of your everyday plastic use. Yeah. Awesome. I'm going to definitely check those out. And actually I'm trying to get your friend Casey on the podcast next. So I might add everyone else on that list to the podcast. Yeah, definitely reach out to Sam at Teddy Locks too. She's fantastic. Um, She was a TV producer who left her job uh, in in film production. Um, She did a lot of like nature documentaries and um, basically traveled the world and saw all the waste out there and was like, I need to fix this. And so she learned the fashion industry, like, which is so complicated um, from the whole manufacturing process. And she like did an amazing job of creating a product that she is literally like hand sourcing every manufacture along the whole production line it's really incredible I think using recycled plastic bottles is like a really common way to create a more sustainable product and whether or not it's sustainable (laughs) is again you know in the eye of the beholder to me recycled plastic bottles is a start but I don't think it's the most sustainable solution out there Um, and also the process of recycling the plastic bottles and turning them into yarn is a really energy intensive process. So you kind of have to weigh all the steps of the process to know whether or not it's sustainable. Yeah. So much that goes into creating sustainable brands that people don't even realize it's crazy. Yeah. I think it's a really sustain. The word sustainable can be very inherently confusing and it's not really defined. And I think as time passes, we will sort of start to see that word maybe be used less and defined more clearly by brands um, because I think sustainability really means something different to everyone at this point. Uh, it's really hard to judge what makes a meaningful impact. 
bottom line, I guess, is more of it can only be a good thing, no matter how people see it. But definitely making it clearer and less of a buzzword would be a good thing. Definitely. And I think, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but my motto at Higher Goods is is really about making things that are better. Because as I embarked on my sustainability journey, I was trying to make the best, most perfect product out there. And it's completely impossible because there are so many things to factor in from like land use to water use to waste. And, you know, the list can go on and on. And I think if you start to try to make something that's perfect, you'll get paralyzed. And if everyone just creates stuff that's better, I think it will be a huge difference from where we're at today. Absolutely. So with that, I would love it if you could share where people can find Higher Goods online and on social media. Yes, um, you can find us on our website at HigherGoods.com, but it's H-Y-E-R Goods.com and on social media at Higher Goods. Thank you so much, Jane. I appreciate it. I love learning more about your brand and congratulations on your baby that's coming soon. So exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dana, for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you to everyone listening and I hope you join us in the next Office Chats episode. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.